Well, good day to you, my friend. I'm Brian Smith, and this is the Star City Podcast, where you can listen in on conversations with new friends about stories of life, work, family, and faith. Today, we're talking about something that involves nearly half a million Americans, and that would be America's National Guard. Did you know that on any given day, approximately 30,000 National Guardsmen carry out federal missions around the world, and on that same day, no less than 10,000 National Guardsmen conduct state and federal missions right here within the United States? And did you know that 18 of our nation's former commander-in-chiefs have also served in the National Guard? Well, let's get started by way of introducing my guest today, who is Blake McKee. Blake is a graduate of Liberty University with a Bachelor of Science in Digital Media. Uh, Blake, you grew up in Lynchburg, Virginia, where your parents still live today. Welcome to today's podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I'm incredibly excited to be here. Now, Blake, this is a little bit of a different role for you today as, <laughs> as you're on our media team, and usually you're on the other side of, of recordings like this uh, as our lead videographer for First Roanoke Media. Uh, but you're here because you can speak personally and from your own experience about what it means to serve in our nation's National Guard. Blake, how many branches in our nation's military actually have a National Guard? There are just two. There's Army National Guard and then Air National Guard. Okay. And which branch did you serve in and and why did you choose that particular branch for your military service? So I served in the Army National Guard. And the reason I chose the Army National Guard was kind of from my uncle. He was in the Army National Guard. I learned a lot about it from him. Um, I was also always just very interested uh, in being in the Army in general. Uh, My dad was in the Air Force, and I looked at that initially, the Air National Guard, but um, the Lord kind of just directed me more towards the Army National Guard. Plus, I kind of like the jobs in the Army a little bit better. You know, Blake, that's kind of cultural to where we live here in Virginia. I grew up, as you know, in Pensacola, Florida, mm-hmm. uh, also known as L.A., Lower Alabama. And <laughs> there along the coast, uh, it is the home of the United States Naval Aviation uh, Program. Uh, for many years, from start to finish, uh, all Navy pilots, carrier pilots, did their all their training from classroom to uh, carrier landings there in Pensacola. So mm. I grew up with a strong emphasis in the Navy. And then when I moved here to Virginia, uh, I discovered uh, not just in our church, but really in, in the state, there is a strong, historic, generational commitment to uh, really this nation's military, particularly in the uh, branch of the Army. Absolutely. So uh, I would think that serving in a National Guard, as you did, and really still do, we'll talk about that in just a few minutes, uh, at times brings out a, a strong feeling of patriotism, does it not? Absolutely. It um, It's a great honor, in my opinion, to be able to serve the country that I live in. Now, I know sometimes it's a derogatory statement referring to weekend warriors, (laughs) uh, but the National Guard, um, it really is considered to be a a part of our nation's uh, true armed forces, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, They're a very important part. They are a very important part, excuse me, of our armed forces. Uh, There are even special force units in the Army and Air National Guard. Uh, And even though they're just considered part-time, they have to complete uh, all of the same training that the active duty counterparts have to do as well. You know, I think that was so interesting. I didn't really realize until I was preparing for our our conversation together today that there are special forces units mm-hmm. in both the Army and the uh, Air Force National National Guard. Uh, Blake, since the National Guard has to complete the same military training, 
then I suppose the president is the commander-in-chief over the National Guard, just like all the other branches of America's military. Well, Brian, that's an interesting, interesting uh, question there. The National Guard can mobilize for either the federal or domestic missions. Um, what's interesting, though, is there continues to be an ongoing debate when it comes to who is in control over the National Guard. Mm. Uh, you see in Title 32 in the U.S. Code, governing the National Guard seems to give control of a state's National Guard unit to the state's governor. But in the same U.S. Code in Title 10, it says that the president can mobilize a state's National Guard unit and put it under federal jurisdiction. When National Guard members are sworn in for their service, they're required to uphold not one but two constitutions, the U.S. Constitution and their own state's constitution. So the answer to your question, Brian, is that the National Guard is controlled by both the state and federal governments. You know, that makes perfect sense given the problems that we're having on our southern border right now in in Texas. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's been um, some debate between uh, Austin and Washington as to who has the legitimate right to order or not to order the National Guard of Texas to go and and help border patrol there uh, on the border with with Mexico. Well, well, Blake, another one of the surprising facts about the National Guard is its history in our nation. Um, Our National Guard really, and I'm going to kind of geek out in just a minute (laughs) as a history major, is really older than most Americans would ever suspect, isn't it? Absolutely. The National Guard actually predates all of our other military branches and is actually America's first organized fighting force and can date its beginnings all the way back to the year 1636, where it was first organized in the Massachusetts Bay Colony Mm. uh, when they were formed to defend the settlers against attacking Indian tribes. Later, the National Guard was part of the American Revolution, and since our country's war for independence... The National Guard has participated in every major U.S. conflict in our nation's history, honestly. So in many ways, the National Guard has been uh, part of the backbone Mm -hmm. of America's national defense. Absolutely. And has been involved uh, in in defending this nation, participating with the other branches of uh, our armed forces in, in wartime. Um, now let's let's make this bring this in personal for you for just a minute. What exactly did you do in the National Guard? Yeah, so I was a 13 Bravo artillery crew member. Um, so I worked with the M119 uh, M119er howitzers, and uh, we basically gave fire support for infantry uh, units. Uh, so if I was ever deployed overseas, that would essentially be my job. Um, I'd be working with howitzers, running rounds, ammo. Um, doing all of that. It was a, it was a good time. So you were like field artillery yes, was sir. your responsibility. Now, now were these self-propelled uh, artillery pieces or were they, they, they helicoptered in? What, what size? Of so that's the, type the cool thing with what I worked about? with. It was, it was towed in, but it was always also helicoptered in. So mm. mine in particular, the 119er, we kind of called it the pea shooter of the artillery. Yeah. Um, that could either be towed by a Humvee or dropped off by a Blackhawk. And so we had training on both of those um, just in case we were just in case, I guess it depended on what situation we were going to be put into. um, We'd be ready for whatever, whatever we were going to be kind of tasked with in the field. You know, I've had some older friends that have been uh, that were veterans of Vietnam. 
And it is your genre of artillery pieces that really um, uh, spared their lives and defended them because oftentimes they would be in the field and they'd find themselves in firefights with the enemy. And it would be um, uh, those kind of artillery pieces that were able to be brought closer to the front that Mm -hmm. would literally fire over their heads to provide defense and protection uh, for the American troops as they were under attack. So, So you were just as apt to be um, attack yourself mm-hmm. being that far out as 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 uh, almost as those who are engaged on the very front line of the battle um, that you are defending. Absolutely. I, I'm curious in in all your training and the time learning how to uh, uh, use those those field artillery pieces. Are there any experiences or stories that stand out in your <laughs> memories right now uh, about your time in the guard? Honestly, just the camaraderie, um, the the fellowship with the guys and the the uh, girls that I was with in my unit. Um, it was really something special. The cool thing with field artillery, obviously the term field, you're staying out in the field half the time. Um, and so you're up late, you are working hard, you are up, you're up late and then you're up early. So not a lot of sleep there. So everyone's kind of going through the same thing. Um, but that camaraderie, that, uh, feeling of we're all in this together. Um, those always really, those moments always really stood out to me. There was one moment in particular and annual training, it was my second annual training. And that's generally when you're out there for two weeks, two to three weeks in the summer. Um, and I woke up one morning before everyone else did, which was rare because I love my sleep. And um, it, was, it was really cool. I, I walked out of my tent and I was watching the sunrise. And uh, it was cool how the sun was rising right next to the barrel of the howitzer. And I was like, this is the <laughs> coolest thing I have seen in a long time. And it was just really cool. And I kind of was able to just kind of sit down and just kind of like pray and be like, God, thank you for this, just this sight. Did you, did you ever forget to have your earpieces in to protect <laughs> your ear protection when the uh, pieces begin to fire? Yes. And I joke now that I can't hear anything when people are talking to me because uh, I was in field artillery. So there and, was and that's why time. you're working video, not audio now. For this Absolutely. Absolutely. That is the exact reason I'm in video because I don't have to hear all that well. <laughs> you know, uh, on a more serious note, Blake, the National Guardsmen regularly serve, and as you well know, in, in hostile war settings. We've been talking about that uh, just the last few minutes. Mm-hmm. And, and in, in getting ready for our conversation, I read that 482 members of the Army National Guard were killed in the wars of Iraq and Afghanistan. So so when you joined the Army National Guard, uh, you what a lot of people don't realize is is you understood, obviously, that you did so knowing that you could be called up to active duty in any wartime setting. And I imagine that was something that, that probably gave you or your family a, a second thought or two, didn't it? It did, uh, especially my mother and father. Um, my, my mother more so. My father was very much like, uh, you know, you understand the risks, but uh, you know, I'm proud of you and everything. And my mother was proud of me as well. But there were many tough conversations that had to be had uh, beforehand. And um, luckily, I come from a really, really loving uh, family, and they understood just my desire to serve my country. Um, but I also knew going into it, like, there is that risk mm-hmm. involved. Um, and I figured if I die for my country, then in a way, what better way to serve my country, um, to lay down my life and kind of go in the way that so many heroes before have gone as well. Well, we certainly appreciate your service, Blake, and whether it's serving on the front lines of a war or or just driving to work, uh, this life, as God tells us, is so uncertain, and yet it's so easy to take it for granted sometimes. 
in, in thinking about our conversation today and, and doing a little bit of research, I came across a website that had the pictures of, the, of National Guardsmen who have died in either Operation Iraqi Freedom or Operation Enduring Freedom. And, and interesting enough, the very first picture I pulled up was that of a 25-year-old sergeant who was a member of the 1st Battalion of the 487 Field Artillery. Hmm. You know, Blake, that could have just as easily been you or one of your fellow guardsmen. I think sometimes uh, as Americans, we don't stop to appreciate the potential risk and sacrifice that those who serve in our military uh, live with every day. And, and many families have heroes where loved ones have, have not made it back from their deployment and, and their uh, assigned service overseas. Uh, those who serve in America's National Guard are certainly, uh, like yourself, we're prepared to make on our behalf and others uh, who are quite literally around the world uh, the greatest sacrifice of all. Uh, we're, we're just about out of time, and thank you so much for being a part of our podcast today. I know a lot of people will find it interesting, but before we wrap up today's um, time together, is there a final thought, Blake, that you'd like to leave us with before we close? Absolutely. Um, serving the National Guard is a it's an honor and a gift. And I think that if anyone ever has any questions about it, um, just ask somebody, ask someone who knows a little bit about the military, who's been in the military. You can ask anybody all day who hasn't been in the military. Like, do you think I should do this? Do you think I shouldn't do this? And you'll get an answer here or there about what direction you should probably go. But it's always better to ask someone who's been in, um, cause there's a lot of, there's a lot that goes into it. There's a lot of, uh, mental and physical, um, strain that goes into it as well. Um, and so just being aware of that, but it's also such a gift. It's such yeah. a blessing being able to serve your country. Well, Blake, thank you so much. And even though you're not on active in the National Guard, you are, what is your status? You are so I'm inactive. My mm -hmm. contract is, uh, it's an eight-year contract total. And I was serving six years active, and now I'm serving two years inactive. Okay, so you still can be called up in, yes. in, in that in your agreement with with the with the nation. Yes, sir. Well, we'll pray for you and all other of our guardsmen, and their families. That that certainly that will not be the case uh, anytime soon. Thank you. Well, friends, thank you so much for listening into the Star City podcast today. I hope you've learned something, and we'll have deeper appreciation for all of our men and women who serve in our National Guard in the history, the rich history of national defense that they have provided for us. And if you're a Christian, let's remember that whether you're a guardsman or not, we are all called to be Christian soldiers once we have received Jesus Christ into our heart. And may we be just as faithful and even more so in the call of Christ upon our lives to live for him by his grace and for his glory. 